The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the Institute of Directors Scotland Business Podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over Scotland about their careers and businesses. I am your host, Marlene Lowe, founder and director of Titchborne Promotions and long-term IOD member. Today we introduce the charismatic personality that is Tony Banks, a man of enthusiastic opinions and an interesting career in many respects. He founded his first care home in 1991, and in 2021, Balhusi Care Group is now the fastest growing and largest independent operators of care homes in Scotland. His opinions on leadership and change are emphasised by his own experiences, both good and bad. Your ability to handle a crisis like this, where do you think that comes from? Oh, uh, there's no doubt that comes from my, my military background. Uh, mm. You know, the, the, you know, uh, you know. I try, I, I try not to, um, I try not to uh, compare what's happening now with the military. Use that all that military word. You know, we're in a war yeah. and all. I don't like to, but it's very easy to do that because yeah. that's how I see it. And you know, I am always at my best. Everybody says, Tony, you're always at your best at a crisis and when you're under pressure. That's yeah. when you really step forward as the leader in the business, then you step up. So you're in the background as, 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 because you're the owner and you've been there 30, but as soon as anything, a major thing, you're right at the front, basically get, you know, I'm back on the bridge of the ship, get out of the way, yeah. I'm steering this ship, you know? And that's, you know, and sometimes I've got to be very careful that I don't undermine my CEO by doing that, you yeah. know? Uh, so you, you know, I'm very conscious of that, and I, and I speak, we speak very openly about it. And I often say, to her, "Look, if you think I'm treading on your toes or getting it, you need to tell me to get to Tony. Just can't step back, take a step, and let me deal with this because that's the last thing you want to do is undermine her authority within your organisation." Yeah. So very much see it as a, as a, as, a, as a military thing, and some of the analogies that I've used over the, the last few months is that. Um, you have to be able to deal with such situations with depleting resources because mm -hmm. we don't have finite resources and sometimes we actually don't we have depleting resources and what do I mean by that so if you can take a military thing that your your task is to take that hill you know go, go to, and as you advance to that hill to take it you've got guys getting killed beside you yeah and you don't get a replacement. It's not saying, well, here's another one. It doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah. You, you have to take that hill with what you've got left. Yeah. You have to adapt to that situation because it's a never-changing situation. So every, every metre you go forward, that situation is going to change. 
yeah. and this is where I feel I look at where you and not just COVID in other situations that we've had over the years you have to look at it and say this is that you know one of the other things I often say there's three changes in life there's th sorry there's three guarantees in life death taxes and change yeah you always have change it's how you embrace change and how you because a lot of people don't like change where yeah. I see change as opportunity mm. I see change as opportunity for improvement. I see change as opportunity to perhaps uh, earn extra revenues or a new business opportunity or a change how to develop somebody or develop people. So, so change to me, uh, you have to, you unfortunately, whether we like it or not, you just have to accept it's part of life. Mm. You know? and, and so it's how, you, how, it's how you embrace that change is how you will set a scene within your organisation. Uh, and I do believe that in times like where we're, we're at in the moment, this is where true leaders will come through. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that leadership is so important in, in, in moments like this. And, you know, even to the extent, and to give you, you know, a good example, I phoned, uh, I phoned somebody or uh, a conversation with somebody that a class has a uh, four to a certain extent, that we had our differences. But, but I, I, felt, I felt it was so important because we have a common battle to fight that we had to call, say, look, put our differences beside us. We need to stand shoulder to shoulder on this. And we got agreement and it was a good conversation. And we've, you know, we agreed that is the right stand. So, so sometimes you've got to have that. Uh, something that I use quite a bit is that I think a lot of leaders lack, a huge amount of leaders and managers lack is humility. Yeah. I, I, if you look at most leadership books and you look at most guys that give leadership courses and training, they'll, they'll say to the class, give me, give me the, the, the attributes of a good leader. And mm -hmm. they'll say, oh, strong, powerful, visionary. You know, very rarely will you get anybody ever say you have, they must have humility. And mm -hmm. that type of, you look over history, your best leaders have always had some form of humility. Yeah. The ones that can hold their hands up and say, I fucked up. Absolutely. This is how we fix it. And yeah, that human, and also that ability to laugh at yourself and all that. <laughs> that. That ability to say, I'm sorry, I fucked that up big time. Yeah. That was my fault. So to give you an example of that, um, our business got into trouble with the banks a number of years ago. And um, when the bankers all came in, and it was basically the fight, and you know, I'll tell you, it was the finance uh, director's fault. He'd lost control of the finance of the business. Mm -hmm. I, I remember sitting in front of all these bankers and saying, look, I could sit here and I could say, blame this, blame that, and blame that. I said, however, ultimately, it's my business, it's my responsibility, and I take full responsibility. And I know, because I was told many, many months after it, I got their respect that day, because yeah. they're used to going in businesses where business, where business owners will not take that responsibility. Yeah, they'll so blame someone. Day one, you went, I'm this is my business, I'll take responsibility for what's happened. Mm. Right, let's move forward. Um, and I think it's that, that is a, and you know, again, I'm not one, I think it's just, it's trying, you know, particularly when I talk to younger people and, and younger business people to try to, to install some of the, the values that I have. I'm not saying I'm right in everything, you know, and it's a bit like pick and mix. You pick the ones that you like and discard the ones you don't. But I can only say this is how I've, you know, how I've managed to, to, to survive this yeah. lot. You know, it's quite interesting to me because a lot of business leader, leaders that I know that have that military background have that same opinion that you need to have that humility alongside with with the other personal traits of a leader. Um, 
But one thing that I've always been curious of is, is that something that you were taught before joining the military or something you already had within you before the military or is it purely yeah, part of... I don't of think you could be taught that. Yeah. I, don't, I was never taught that. Yeah. I, I, that was just something that was inane in me. I, I, yeah. I don't, I was, that was just something I think is within you, it's yeah. within you that, that you realise. And, and I often think it's because... I'm a people person, you know, I'm a team player. I'm not an individualist, you know, I'm a team player. I'm very much an inclusive. We were standing in a bar and you were part of the company, you were out in the periphery. I'd open the circle up to make sure you were in the circle, we could all talk. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the way I don't. So, um, and I think that's just in my nature, you know. Um, and I remember my mother's, you know, God, God bless her. She said, you, you know, Anthony, I was called Anthony. I've got the Sunday. <laughs> Anthony, she said, even from a very small boy, you were always you always need people around you, but you always were inclusive. You would give your last sweetie to somebody else. You know, yeah. you would you would be that individual. So say that's not so I think that's what I'm saying. I don't I don't think that's something that I was I, I learned. I think it was something that was innate in me. Yeah. Do you think it's something that can be taught? Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because because I, I don't think people there's a number of people actually don't even know what it means. Mm. It doesn't. It's, it's alien to them. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not within their. It's never been part of their lives. It's not part of their, com their community, their family structure. So they've never been. They've never been. They've never been um, exposed to that. Mm. And I think when you expose to it, and you explain, and, and to give you sort of even just a little, it's looking after people as well. And, and you know, it's a bit like in the military um, when the men are getting fed. The last people to eat are the officers in the senior ranks. Yeah. Like the juniors all get fed first. And if there's nothing left for you, then there's nothing left for you. Yeah. That's part of, you know, letting make sure and looking after people. Um, but it's also that, that, that understanding of how people feel. Mm. You know, like I said, and a good example is what I said earlier on, is that you've got to understand that people have this different fear levels. And so there are people with, with what's going on have got different fear. There might, and it might be that they've got an underlying health condition that we, we don't yeah. know. Because yeah. on the surface, we all look healthy, but we don't know. I mean, I don't know if you've got an underlying health condition. You don't know if I've got one. Yeah. You know, so so you've got to take all that into consideration. So, um, yeah, I think you I think you can teach it. I definitely think you can teach it because I think a lot of people, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And yeah, until, exactly. until you take until they realise, all oh, right, I never even thought of that. And, <laughs> and I've, done, I've done leadership training in the past when you bring it up and, and I say, you've missed something and you get, they're all racking their brains. What have we missed, you know? And, and, and you know, you could be there for hours because you know they're never going to get it. And then you just write the word up and you get some go, oh, and then you get others go, what? Because <laughs> they, they just don't know, you know? So I want to take you back to that time between ending the military, your military career and starting with care homes. Yeah. What, where is that bridge between the two? <laughs> so that's a really interesting. When I left the military, I'd been accepted to go back to university and I wanted to become a physiotherapist. Mm -hmm. so I love football, right? Love football, love sport in general, but football. And my idea was to become a physiotherapist, work in the sports field, hopefully a football club, and fix people. I like this idea of fixing them and making them, they can't walk and then they can walk. You know, it's a bit like yeah. Jesus, you know, I'm a miracle man. So <laughs> I sort of had that sort of thing, you know. And then I had, I had time to kill. So I got a job. And I was so naive, honestly, when I was younger, I was so naive, right? I really, I really was naive. 
Um, I went, it was a, a friend of mine's wife said, look, I could get you uh, in, probably in this business and, you know, you, you, you can earn a thousand pounds a month. Mm. Well, back in the 80s, being an ex-soldier, a thousand pounds a month was a lot of money, you know, so I went, okay, she said, but to come, to come along, you'll have to get a suit. Well, the only suit I had was my birthday suit, right? So <laughs> I went, so I had to go and buy the cheapest suit that you could you could have spat through, you know, <laughs> with a shirt and tie to go to this seminar. I, I still didn't really realise what it was. And when I went to the seminar, all these guys there were they had they were driving Porsches, they had the mobile phones at the time, the big bricks at the time, all sharp, you know, all looking great and obviously earning money. And the bottom line is what it ended up being, it was selling uh, financial services on a commission only basis. Yeah. Right? I was so naive, right? Anyway, and I thought, well, how do you earn a thousand pounds? And the guy said, and I always remember, he said, if you make four appointments a day, mm. the worst salesman in the world will earn a thousand pounds a month. Okay. Now, being ex-military and only having one brain cell, it's basically, right, that's what I have to do. That's <laughs> it. I didn't, I didn't want to think, I just think, I've just got to do that. And I did it. I did it religiously and I made sure that I made four appointments a day. Now, I didn't want the cold call, so I made a thought about the, the process and thought, if I could get referrals, so if I come to see you and I do, I got on well with you, I'd say, well, look, I've, you like my ideas, yeah. Okay, so you're not going to keep them a secret, are you? Who else can we tell about it? Oh, well, my sister or my brother. And then you, that's and it's a warm introduction for your sales job, right? Yeah. So I, I became really good. You know, I started earning four and five grand a month. I was top six salesman out of 700. Yeah. Well, bollocks going to university and being a student when I can earn this sort of money. <laughs> so I started to understand the money that could be earned in the world. I yeah. understood how finance worked. I, understood, I then started to understand how property worked. Mm. And the world started to make sense to me because you've got to remember, I've been quite, the military is quite an insular environment, you know, you're, you're, mm. you're very secure in that bubble. And then, and then I, I realized that, 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 um, there was a big wide world out there. There was, there was money to be made. Yeah. Um, and it always worked. I've worked since I was 11. You know, I've, I've delivered newspapers. I've delivered milk. I've caught chickens. Um, I've, I've, I've went to derelict buildings and stolen all the, the press, the lead and the copper and sold it. <laughs> you know, I've done, you know, I've, I've worked in supermarkets. I did anything to earn money. I've worked like <laughs> my empty dustbins. Yeah. You know, I've done everything. And, you know, to give the sort of, when I was younger, I used to come on, on uh, home from, because I lived down in England, and my brother would have a new car, and my sister would have this, and my mother had bought, my mother and father bought it for them, but I would get nothing. And I was like, why? And so many years later, I, I confronted my mother about this. I said, well, why? She says, and again, she said, Anthony, I never, ever worried about you. Aww. I said, yeah, but I still would have liked to have got some presents. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing was, and her point, and I got her point, is that I always had the ability to go and earn money. Yeah. And, I, and I was never work shy. I never have been, never, and always, I've always worked, you know. Mm. I enjoy work, and I, I actually have a poem called The Joy of Work. Mm. It was given to me by a very old friend, and he was given it by... Uh, a very old boss as many years ago and this poem I often give it to students and things when I'm talking about the joy of work and it's all yeah. about you don't work just for money you work for the joy of working and the pleasure that, that working could give you and all that all the things that work touches and I've often said that the, the day that I 
the day that I don't enjoy going to work is the day that I give up. And I, I literally mean that. If I get out of my bed and think, that's it, for the, I'll stop. But I get out of my bed and go, right, fucking bring it on. What's happening today? <laughs> you know, I get up, and even now I get up with an excitement about what's yeah. going to even when it's shit. You know, even when I know I'm going to get up to a load of shit, I'm like, okay, let's get this on, let's deal with this. You know what I mean? You know, so I'm not wanting to go and hide in a cupboard or go and hide from anything. I'm like, well, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's get it done. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always been like that. So anyway, I, 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 I did this financial services job. And then as most sales organizations do, when you're a good salesman, what do they do? They make you a manager. Mm. Well, the job changes when you become a manager because you're then recruiting people, you're training people. Yeah, you earn off of them, but you still have to go and do your own. And then... But then they made an even bigger mistake. They sent me to Croydon in London to work. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Croydon. I have not, but I know it. <laughs> the RAF should use it as a bombing range, right? It was, <laughs> it was a total shithole, right? But no, not only that, and I'm not a racist, it, it, it was, you know, I was like spot the white man. Yeah. And this was like this alien to me. Mm. And having to deal with the different cultures because you were recruiting guys that were from all different uh, ethnic communities. And, and I, was, I got married and, and, I, and we wanted to start a family and I was commuting four hours a day and money was good. And I thought, I, was sitting, I remember sitting on the train and I was looking around me and I was looking at people thinking, God, if I keep, I'm going to end up like that guy there. You mm. know, that, I'm not doing this. And that was it. I thought, I'm not doing this. And yeah. it's funny, but I, I don't know if you've read my book or anything, but, you know, I did the same when I, let, when I gave up university to join the army. You know, I went into the classroom after the night and looked at people around me, thought, I'm going to end up like that. I'm not going to do it. And I'm, that's why I went and joined the army. And I did yeah. the exact same thing. And I went, I'm going to end up like that. I'm not, I'm, that's not for me. So, <laughs> you know, my ex-wife and I, she was a nurse. I understood finance. We'd made some money on property. Um, she was, uh, her father had his own, uh, quite a large tool hire business. And he had three daughters. Mm. And he asked me, when he realised that I wanted to go and I was wanting to move from the south of England, you know, he asked me to come into the business with him, and I said no. Which I was shocked. I said yeah. no. I'd, I'd rather just be doing be my own man. So he then respected me for that. I wasn't going to yeah. just take something would be very comfortable, very easy. Um, anyway, uh, he gave us a bit of money, and um, we um, had a discussion about where we want to live. Uh, she was happy. My ex-wife was happy to come back to live in Scotland. And um, that's why we end up in Scotland. And yeah. um, we started the first care, started the first care home, which was, you know, I was only 29. So to be involved in care, only 29. Yeah. My wife was younger. was, you know, it was quite a strange thing for a lot of people to say, you know, these very young folks looking after older folks. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I, and, I, and I look around, somebody actually asked me recently, do you, you, you have you naturally a caring individual? And I think, I said, I suppose, now that I'm the age I think I am, but if you yeah. asked me back then, I'm not really sure if I was. I said, but and when I look around me, it must be in the family. You know, my daughter's a nurse, my sister's a nurse, my niece works with me, she's in social care, you know. So around me, all my family is a lot of working in the care and care in some yeah. form of care. So it must just be that a family thing that we, we do, we do um, care as something. It's just in within us, and then I go back to my mum saying that you would always include people and look after. So maybe I was a carer. I just yeah. didn't realize, you know. 
So that's, that is a young age to start a business and investing in a business. And look where you are now, one of the leading care homes in Scotland. Yeah, and, I, and, and, and you know, I could have grown my business a lot bigger. I yeah. could have been a UK-wide business. I could, I, could have been in, I could have been in and out two or three times, made lots of money. But mm. I chose not to. I chose to do it my, my way, like the was song. But it was because it's so <laughs> I wanted, always wanted to remain in Scotland. I wanted to be aware. I much wanted it to be a Scottish-based business. Yeah. And, you know, and then things happen, don't they? You know, we, we had the, 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 the financial crisis. So I'd grown quite a lot through that, before that. And then financial crisis just basically put the brakes on everything. Yeah. You know, and then after that, I had this finance director who caused us some issues. So that put the brakes again. And so you then start saying, okay, you have to reevaluate all the time because again, there's constant change. And you know, what what does what do you want to do go for the next you know, I'm at that age where I've got to look at decisions saying, if I do that, I'll be tied in for another ten years. Do I really want to be tied in for another ten years. Yeah. So I've diversified into various other businesses with other business interests. Yeah. One one to um give me other interests. Uh, and, and two, to, to, to not have all my eggs in one basket, because yeah. when that situation happened with the banks, it did give me a fright, mm. you know, because, because all my eggs were in, were in one basket. Yeah. And you potentially could have lost my business. And, yeah. and when that happens to you, 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 it's, 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 you put, it's a lifetime of work. And this is, you know, at the moment, I really, really, really feel for a lot of business owners, because mm. there are businesses out there who put their heart and soul into their business and they're losing it for no fault of their own. Yeah. And I look at things like hospitality in particular, you know, even though, a, you know, little guys, they just want a, a small cafe and mm. they work in it and their wife's working and maybe their daughter's working it. And all of a sudden that's getting closed and they can lose it. Yeah. And that's not their fault, you know, and, and then you have the guys, I know one guy here that had a really great venue in Dundee. He used to do a lot of bands and music. It needed, it's just people, it was wall-to-wall -wall people. He didn't do food. His, his thing was lots of people, lots of alcohol, great bands. Yeah. Well, that model's dead. He's had to close yeah. the business. He's had yeah. to close it. He's just, he's made it, I, I, I actually saw him, he was working in Tesco's. And I, I've known him since school. I said, what are you doing? And he said, ah, oh, close. He says, I closed the business just to see what's going to happen. He says, but I don't think I'm going to open up again. He says, look, I've got no debt. It's been good to me. But why should I go and take on debt to reopen mm. in a certain future? He, and he's a bit younger than me, a few years younger than me. He said, I, I'm as well just to, you know, to, to just do what I'm doing and, and see how it goes. Yeah. And that's so sad because he had a, a very loyal staff group and yeah. he had to make them redundant. So the, all that knock-on effect of, of what's happened is so sad. And I feel, I feel really heartfelt for, for a lot of business owners at the moment. I really do. Do you have advice for business owners if they're able to, well, actually two, one for business owners that are able to stay in business, what can they do going forward? But then also, do you have advice for business owners that unfortunately are needing to close down and how they can restart? Yeah, well, two, two things. So, so people that are in business, I think they are, are, are lucky enough to be able to survive and, and get through this. They, they, what they and they will have done. They will have to adapt, and you have to change. It's that word change. We've used that a few times, haven't we? They yeah. have to change. You have to change your business model, and your ask perhaps your aspirations for your business to uh, sit alongside what's happening in the economy. Mm. 
However, the other thing is, is look for opportunity within that environment because there will be there will be opportunity. And if you're lucky enough to be cash rich or have the ability to raise cash, and what we've got what what they're talking about today is perhaps negative interest rates. Mm. And that that's basically because they, they you know they, they, they need to get the they need to get money out the door. You've got to remember the banks don't make any money unless they get money out the door. Yeah. So yeah. they will be they will be looking for the companies that have been able to adapt. They have can see opportunity, mm. and can, can and can and take advantage of that opportunity. So the banks will look to fund that. Mm. The guys that have unfortunately lost their business is a thing. I think it's a good time to reflect, and, and there's a number of things they should look at. And one is what was wrong with their business model? Hmm. Were, there, were there fundamental flaws in it and they hadn't, they hadn't noticed? Hmm. So they can then look at resurrecting their business uh, so, or our business, doesn't matter what. And look at, was it, did they make, is some of it not just the pandemic's fault? Some yeah. of it is actually their mismanagement of their business. Yeah. And, and it is strange because I know in a bigger business like mine, fat, fat sneaks in. Hmm. And it, it when and it's when you you hit a crisis when you start you start drilling down you think, oh my God we're wasting so much money. Yeah. So one of the things I would ask I would say existing but look at your existing business and see where the fat is at the moment. Yeah. Look at how you're operating and can you change that model to make it more efficient? Mm. You know and, and 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 you know more profitable. And then again, a bit, and 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 for those that have lost their business, still, I would, they have to reflect. They have to look back and be honest about what are some of the things that they might they might have done, could have done different. Mm. What could could the fact is, you know, a lot of business owners are very slow to react, and they don't make, take the hard decisions quick enough. And you yeah. will find people that would have been reluctant to um, shed staff, shed costs, shed customers. And I think there's a lot of businesses don't do that. There's yeah. customers that you do not need in your business because yeah. they're not profitable. They're a pain in the bloody arse. <laughs> no, seriously, you better just say, you know what? Thank you for your business, but it's not business that we need anymore. Thank you very yeah. much. You have to be able to have that guts to say to people, we're not interested in your business. Yeah. Really cut the ones that are not profitable. And, and I, you know, I've spoken to, Unfortunately, when the pandemic started, I, I literally within the first month had three uh, good friends, uh, uh, one in particular, who basically came virtually in tears. Yeah. We're going to lose our businesses. And we, then I would sit down and I would, it was a bit like the doctor, you know, tell me what's wrong with you. you know? and, then, and, then, and then once you get the, once you get the, the, the symptoms and, and, and you can say, okay, I probably, here's, here's, here's my, here's the medicine I think you need to do. And some of it was tough medicine. Yeah. It was. It was very, you told them some home truths. Yeah. You know, you're living beyond your means. You know, you want everybody to think you're successful. So you, you've got this car, that car, and your wife's got this car, and you've got that, all too expensive, get rid of the expensive cars, cut your cloth, but but that's, I suppose, I don't know if it's a good trait or not, what people say is, the good thing about Tony, you will definitely, you will say it as it is. Mm. You you have, an, and one of a very good friend of mine said, what, what your ability, one of your real skills is to see right through the crack to see what the solution is. So yeah. you see the problem and you know how to get to the solution and you cut the crap right out of it and say, do this and yeah. it will work. Forget all that stuff. That's just noise around the side, you know. Yeah. Um, 
So that would be my advice to people that have, uh, are still in business and those that have lost business. And those that have lost, I think that the biggest thing is there's a personal, there's a personal um, injury when that happens. Mm. They're bound to feel deflated. They're bound to feel hurt. They're bound to feel angry. Yeah. They need to try and get over that and they need to try and put that aside. And that's easy for me to say because I'm still in business. But, I, you know, I've had to shut businesses, other business interests, and accept that they were not working or lost money or whatever. And they just have to, I think if they could just do that analysis and, and be honest about what they could have done better, that might help them with the next business venture. But I would say don't give up. You know, that's the, that is the whole Keep going. You know, things will, it's not always going to be like this. Yeah. I think it's going to be like this for some time. And if it is going, we just have to live with this. We have to live with this virus, you know. We and in a way, it's a bit. I do admire the Swedish, the, you know, the Swedes in, in one respect. They're living with the virus, and they did from day one. And the yeah. advice from the the epidemiologists in Sweden, you know, what, what I think was quite sound advice. And part of me now, what we've got is these 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 restrictions and lockdowns, and there's part of me so look, we should put all the resources into protecting the vulnerable. You know, really protect the vulnerable and then let others use common sense and, 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 and with some restrictions and advice, get on about, about their daily lives. I remember when they lifted the restrictions, I remember saying, uh, they've let the animals out of the zoo now. <laughs> you know, I, 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 that's the words I use. I said, they've let the animals out of the zoo now. What, there's going to be carnage. And if you remember, that's when you had pictures of Brighton Beach or Bournemouth Beach with hundreds of people on it. Yeah. I thought, there you go, there's the evidence. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like, I don't really understand, like Boris, you know, last week it was known that he was going to make new uh, announcements this week. So what he basically says, you've got the weekend folks to go crazy. Yeah, which doesn't so, help. No, what he should have done was went on the television at, 11 a.m. on Friday morning, saying, by the way, at 6 o'clock tonight, I'm shutting all the pubs. Yeah. That's it, done. Sharp, hip, done. Yeah. So, he's, so, he's, so he's not helped, the pro he's allowed people to say, and which people do, it's a natural instinct. I feel really sorry for young folks, right? Mm. I really do. I was young. I, I still like to party and socialise, right? Mm. No, it's naturally, kids go to university, that's part of university life, is to get drunk and have sex, you know, that's what people do. <laughs> so the bottom line is, they're trying to curtail that, and, and we, need to, we need to just say, you know, look, we need to live with this virus, so how, how best to deal with that? Testing is a big thing, I mean, I've been banging the drum about testing, I'm still going on about it, and I, you know, and I, 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 I just despair. Uh, it's, it's not rocket science. I mean, as I say, I've only got one brain cell. <laughs> but we, we need to be, I could see the way through this situation. I know what we should be doing. I know, I know how to deal with it. I, I, I believe that's easy for me to say because I don't know the, the big picture. But, but I think if I can do it, to be honest, I yeah. think I can say to the minister, I've got a meeting with the health minister next week because mm -hmm. I've been, I, I, I'm, I'm not accept, I'm not scared of her. And that's the good thing. Yeah, exactly. And I'll, and, I, and I'll not lie down to her. And more importantly, I'm a member of the SNP. And the last thing that they, they expected was somebody criticising them from within the party. Mm. And as I say, I'm not, and when people say you're criticised, I'm not criticising them. I'm a member of the party. I'm engaging with them. Yeah. Of course, but I'm what, it, what it sounds like to me is what it actually comes down to, and forgive me if I'm misunderstanding this, is actually everyone across the board needs to rip off that band-aid stop hiding behind an image stop hiding behind 
how you want people to perceive you and actually just tell the truth, deal with things head on, yeah. regardless of how old you are, what your business is, where you are in society. Take responsibility. Rip that bandaid off. Yeah, take responsibility. So look at, look at, so I look at the responsibility and I say, right, I'm in my twenties or whatever, and I'm at uni, I want to go and party. I've then got to say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I go, I go home, am I going to visit my 85-year-old grandmother? Mm. So my decision is party and not see my grandmother or not party and see my grandmother. Yeah. But take the responsibility, the individual take responsibility on what their actions will have another, will have a consequence. Mm. Now, I think the, 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 the sad thing that was, it was in danger of happening, and thank God it never, was that young folk were going to get the blame for yeah. this extra transmission. And, you know, you go on about, uh, they go on about um, the increased amount of cases. Well, of course there's going to be an increased amount of cases because we're doing more testing. Mm. So that, that number doesn't count. There's only three numbers that count. The amount of hospital admissions with COVID, mm -hmm. the amount of people in ICU with COVID, and the amount of deaths with COVID. They're the only three numbers that count. The rest of it doesn't yeah. count. Yeah. You know? my opinion <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you're right it's um it, it, i suppose it can be very frustrating and this is probably something that many people fall into the trap of no matter what we're talking about is seeing numbers and not connecting the dots in in the way that makes sense yeah, so yeah. connecting the dots that you want to connect and missing out the information you, and you said this earlier um, of what, when it came to leadership and what leadership skills you listen to and take on board. It's not a case of choosing the ones that you want and disregarding the others. Actually, you need to see the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's 100% uh, right. I think that, you know, and, and, and you know, you've, as a business leader, you, you say the humility, but you've also got to be, I mean, one thing you'll get with me, you probably got, I'm a passionate, I'm passionate, right? Mm. I'm a committed and I'm passionate about what I do. Yeah. And, I, and, and when I'm talking to students, I talk about commitment. And I say, you've got to do something. Do it right. Be committed. Yeah. I, said, I said, okay, you're students. You'll understand alcohol and drinking, right? I said, I don't go out for two pints. I'm either going out and getting absolutely pissed or I'm not <laughs> bothering. I said, that's commitment. When I go out, I'm getting committed. that I'm going to give it to my best go and I'm going to drink as much to I fall down. That's commitment. Go out for two pints and you're just in a row. You're not really doing anything. You know, there's no point in drinking if you're only going to have two pints. You know what I mean? So, so that, and they get it. You get a laugh. Exactly. You get a laugh, but they understand it. They understand the commitment part. When yeah. you talk about commitment, don't, I, I do not very rarely get involved with anything that I cannot give it hmm. my best because, because, because I know personally that would make me feel bad because I, I think, I never really gave that my best. Even, yeah. even if you fail or you don't do as well as what you expect, at least if you know you know you can look in the mirror and say, I did give that my best shot. Yeah. And that and you know that again as a business owner, when things go wrong, because things go wrong, the first place you should always look is the mirror. Yeah. Look Definitely. in the mirror and say, is it something I've done? Have I not given my staff the resources? Have I not given them clear instruction? You know, have I not told them the outcome they expect? And if it, then if, if you can say, no, I've done all that, then you can go down to the next tier and say, right, how's, how have these people performed? So I think that's a really important thing as well, to be, to be able to, to be uh, 
introspective to, to look inwards and look at your the, the, what you what 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 role you've played. Yeah. And as a and most uh, we're very Scottish, we're not very good at praising ourselves and patting ourselves on the back. But <laughs> you have to take you should take, you should take with humility the accolades that go with your success because very rarely unless a good example is awards right i never used to bother about awards i didn't need anybody to tell me how i'd done well and i didn't want me and i was on an award ceremony it was a care a care industry award ceremony and it was things like carer of the year domestic of the year chef of the year but people were whooping and hollering and, and thinking <laughs> yeah, i'm going jesus christ this actually means something to these people <laughs> And I went and I went away, but I went away from that award ceremony thinking, Jesus, this actually does mean things to awards mean things to people. Yeah. And I realized, look, if you go for awards, they're not for you. Your staff will want to work for a company that's winning awards. Yeah. They will and I we then started going for going through awards. And I've won several awards over the years, you know, I even IOD awards and things like that. Yeah. So so uh, you know, I do it's that recognition thing that you have to be as a business owner, you have to sometimes sometimes um treat yourself because very rarely do people come up to say god you're wonderful what a fantastic job you've done and and in general people in scotland don't like to hear that anyway because that's yeah. about <laughs> we feel uncomfortable with being you know you're in america you're bloody all over the place and then there's that, that there is that british thing that you know with successful people the the media etc just want to cut the legs from them in this country yeah. you know we're in america if you're a millionaire and self-made you're a hero i mean you are held up in high esteem but yeah. in this country, it's different, and that's a real. I think that's a real shame. I really do. I really find that frustrating in in the UK that we yeah. have this attitude against our successful people. Yeah. And 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 the media, particularly, all they want to do is find dirt on people, uh, and not the good in people. And we've all got skeletons in our closet. We've all done things we're not proud of. You know, we're all done things that that you know that just happened in life. Because you've lived your life, and if you live your life, things will happen, and you can't always live on the right side. Because you, you just, we're human beings, we're flawed, you know, and you know most geniuses have got huge flaws, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, so I just think that um, you know uh, that is that is the one thing that really disappoints me about the UK. I think it's changing. I think mm. the, the, there is a change, and I think you know the, the using entrepreneurialism, using business as a force for good. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know, I, this is why I get frustration, frustrated with the current administration in Edinburgh because I don't believe uh, Nicola Sturgeon's really interested in business. Mm -hmm. I think all she's interested is that ten percent in the middle that read the red top papers that she could she could take from no to yes. Yeah. Alex Salmon really understood whether you your personal views on Salmon. I, and I personally like Salmon, right? Again, flawed. Right, yeah. but he was a he was a brilliant politician. She's a good don't get me wrong. She's a brilliant politician, but he had a different attitude with business. Mm -hmm. He understood that business drives economies. Business creates jobs and and, and creates a, a tax base. Yeah. So he under, he courted business where she doesn't, yeah. in my opinion. She'll they'll argue differently, but they don't. Not the same. So I think you know people need to look at not a business is not a force for 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 for, for uh, badness. Business is a force for good. I, I one of one of the things that I like to do, I do like interacting with young entrepreneurs, mm. and a bit like the Dragons Den. I invest in people and I invest in things because I, I'm, I'm you know I'm not that techy minded. You know I, you know I, I look at an email. I mean I can't even do a spreadsheet. Right? <laughs> People say to me, 
why have you not learned to do that? I says, because I've got people that work for me that do that. <laughs> I said, so why do I need to learn to do it? I just employ somebody to do it. So, so I said, why? Well, I don't want to clutter my brain up with stuff that I don't need to do. Yeah. And it's a bit like, I look at like, uh, like your mobile phone, right? I, I have no desire to get the latest mobile phone, mm. right? Um, and I don't mind, it's a, a, quite a good one, I don't know, 10, 11, or whatever. I mean, it's a good phone. But I'm going, look, what do you actually do with a phone? I said, in fact, the, I said, the first of all, that you started, you can make a phone call, that was great. Yeah. Then you got texting, and then you got, I said, you can't hide. You can't tell your wife that you're still in the office when you're in the pub because you just have to, well, just FaceTime you and you're fucked because <laughs> you can see where you are. So I said, what do you need your phone to do? I don't need my phone to do enhanced, what do you call it? Uh, you know, enhanced image or, or yeah. put little fairy lights around me or anything. <laughs> I say, so, you know, I don't need to look like a lion or a, I'm, I'm, I said, so I just need to make a phone call and send a text. Yeah. And maybe, and photographs. I said, that's it. I don't need, so why do I need to go get the latest phone? So, and I, I'm sitting there and I can't remember where I was. And everybody's got, you know, my phone's got like two cameras. They've got, now they've got like four cameras or something. And I'm going, well, oh, I feel a bit, I feel a bit under pressure here to get a new phone. And then I thought, why? Why the fuck do I need to go and get a new phone? A friend of mine, and he's my best friend, right, doesn't even have a mobile phone. Yeah. He's got a successful care home business in England. He mm. refuses to get a mobile phone. <laughs> and I think he's just a bit eccentric. He is a bit eccentric, but, but I get his point. Yeah. He basically, he's all, he says, if anybody needs to get me, I'm at home at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. I, I catch up on all my emails at four o'clock. I make all my calls at, calls at four o'clock. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. So I don't feel under pressure to reply to anybody straight away. Mm. You know, and I remember a good friend of mine, uh, he, he does a lot of work in Australia. And he says, in the UK, if somebody doesn't respond to one of your emails within 15 minutes, you start sweating and getting angry. <laughs> he says, in Australia, it's 48 hours is acceptable. Yeah. No, but in the UK, it's like, geez, I sent them an email. Oh, but I'm phoning them. I sent you an email, yeah, six minutes ago. You know, <laughs> that, that, you know but that's the way we are. We're, we're conditioned. And, um, but I do love the, the look, listening to all the young entrepreneurs and, and some of their ideas. And pretend they're quite techy because as much as I don't understand it, I can understand what it's going to do. Yeah. And how how yeah. it will change things, how it's better than what's, what is it, what's already there. Yeah. So that changed things that I find really interesting, you know? Yeah. The Institute of Directors is in the heart of all major cities and continues to represent your point of view as a business leader, both locally and nationally. Our objective is to ensure that your views are taken into account when government is reviewing policy, legislation, or seeking the opinions of the wider business community. If you're interested in joining the IOD, please visit www.iod.com. Also take the opportunity to listen to our other IOD podcast, Policy Voice. Join the conversation and share your thoughts on today's episode by engaging with us on Twitter or joining the LinkedIn Scotland group.